All year we've been talking about the word committed. We've been saying as kind of our motto this year that in response to the God who committed all to our salvation, we commit all to him, to his glory, to his cause, and to his people. That our commitment to God and our commitment to his glory Our commitment to his people is a response to God's commitment to us. And that's what we're talking about this month in our series, Calling, Committed to Being Who We're Called to Be. We want to work through several passages in the New Testament that talk about our calling and kind of explore those things and how they're relevant and how they apply to our lives. I was thinking this morning about jobs that I've had. Believe it or not, I, I haven't always been a preacher. Uh, when I was in middle school, I delivered newspapers, rode my bike through some papers. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I worked as a shoe salesman, believe it or not. So uh, I sold shoes at Famous Footwear in Colby, Kansas. And I was thinking about a time, I'll never forget this, this story, this one time an older gentleman walked into the shoe store I did my job. I went up to him. I said, how may I help you? He said, I'm looking for some tennis shoes. And I said, okay, well, we've got lots of those, you know, and I kind of pointed to the whole men's section, you know, and I, cause I thought he was looking for athletic shoes. And so I said, you know, here you go. Hey, tennis shoes. All these are tennis shoes. And he said, no, no, no. I want some tennis shoes. And he kept repeating his request, like, over and over again, like I wasn't getting something. And I kept telling him, well, all of these and kind of indicating, and there was a miscommunication somewhere and an embarrassing number of times. It went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, he said, no, I want some tennis shoes. And I said, oh, okay, shoes, like shoes for playing tennis. And then I had to say, I have no idea where those are. I'll get my manager. So (laughs) needless to say, I didn't make it very long as a shoe salesman, but... um, You know, all of us have probably had a job or two or three or four in our life. And, and when we're, we're offered a job, it's, it's flattering, isn't it? I mean, because when somebody offers us a job, they're, they're not just saying that they think we're capable of doing these tasks. They're inviting us to, in a, in a way, whether it's a small way or a big way, they're inviting us to represent their company. Because when we're wearing their uniform or we're, we're working or people just know that's where we work, well, then we represent them. If you're an employer and you hire somebody, you're extending them an invitation. And you're saying, I would like for you to represent my company. Maybe even you're, you feel like your company and you are kind of inseparable. And so when somebody represents your company, they, in a way, represent you. So it's incredibly flattering, whether you accept the job or not, that when you're offered a job, you're being invited into a different, a kind of a different way of living your life. You gotta wear different clothes and maybe get up at a different time and kind of that means you gotta go to bed at a different time and means that you do certain things the way that you do them and you don't do other things because you've accepted this invitation to work for this company and represent these people and be a part of what they're doing in the world, what they're doing in your community. And see, what I want us to understand this month as we go through this series is that's what Christianity is. Christianity is God calling humanity to himself. He's inviting us. He's giving us a job opportunity. He's giving us a job offer. He's calling us and inviting us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. 
And, and how would it change the way that we think and the way that we live if we really did stop every now and then and just come to grips with the fact that the creator of the universe, through the sacrifice of his only begotten son, is inviting you and inviting me to be a part of what he's doing in the world. He's inviting us to himself. He is calling us. The gospel is a call. And we could talk about our individual calling. We could talk about the way Paul was kind of called by God. And even in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he'll go on to talk about some of our individual giftedness. But for the most part, when the Bible talks about our calling, it's talking about the just, I said this in the fellowship hall a minute ago, epic is a good word. It's the biggest word I can think of. A big word with big scope. Epic. That's a good word. But it's not even big enough for what God is inviting us to. God is inviting us to something so monumental, so mind-blowing that you can't even begin to wrap your mind around it. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and start in verse 1. And Paul says, the second word there, he says, I therefore, and therefores are important words. There's a silly little rule that says when you see therefore, you got to ask what came before. So you got to go back and say, because this is pointing backwards. Paul's saying, based on what I just said, here's this. Well, sometimes when we look at context, we just go back to the verse before it. But we need to go all the way back to the beginning of the letter. I wish I had time to read you the whole letter, but I don't. I won't keep you that long. I know you're hungry. But so, but, but we need to kind of go back and hit the highlights. Because what he's going to say here in chapter 4 and verse 1 is a pivot point. See, everything before this is what we call indicative. It says, this is the way things are. This is what God is doing. This is what God is inviting you to. This is, this is the blessing, the spiritual blessings that are in Jesus. And then he kind of pivots and we go from indicative to imperative and say, because these things are true, here's what you ought to do. Okay. So he says, therefore, what, what kind of stuff are included in the therefore? In chapter one, Paul says that God has adopted us. That's good, isn't it? God has adopted us. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. And we could just stop right there. We could spend all month just talking about that. That God is inviting you, inviting me, inviting us to be forgiven and redeemed and adopted into his family. But then he says, I love this phrase, it says, he lavished on us the riches of his grace. That's solid right there. That's good, isn't it? That he lavished, he lavished on us the riches of his grace. That's our calling. That's what we're being invited to. You want to hear about a good invitation? You're flattered when somebody says, hey, come work for me. I I think you'd be a good representation of my company. That is flattering. But how much more so when God says, I want to invite you into a life where I lavish on you the riches of my grace. That's what we're being invited into. Redeemed and adopted and forgiven and lavished on us the riches of his grace. He says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee in anticipation of the inheritance that we're going to obtain. There's The stuff we have now is good and we're going to get something even better. There's an inheritance that's coming and even that would be that would be good right there, wouldn't it? 
just to be told you have an inheritance, a mind-blowing, epic inheritance that God has been waiting to give to his people since before time began. It's yours. And then he says, the Holy Spirit is your guarantee. It's how God has sealed you so that you know that when he returns, that inheritance will be yours. You're adopted and redeemed and forgiven and lavish with the riches of God's grace. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Then, that's just chapter one, folks. Chapter two, he moves on. He says, you're made alive together with Christ, saved by his grace, not by your works, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because of his grace, seated us, not will seat us, but has seated us with himself in the heavenly places. I mean, that's good, isn't it? That's what you have now in Christ Jesus. You're seated with God in the heavenly places. Spiritually speaking, you are at the banquet table of God because of what Jesus has done for you and by accepting that invitation, that calling. That's what you're being called to is to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And then he says, in the coming ages... In the coming ages, God can't wait to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. You think you've experienced the grace of God? You ain't seen nothing yet, church. You ain't seen nothing yet. In the coming ages, God can't wait to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. That, that is what we're being called to. That's chapters 1 and chapter 2. At the end of chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, he says... You know all of God's power? That power that, that is, surpasses anything that we can even ask or think? That power is at work within us. That power of God that surpasses all that we ask or think, it is at work within us. That is what we are being invited to. And sometimes we forget that. That's what motivates our life in Jesus. That's what Paul leverages to urge the church, live this certain kind of way, because this is the life to which you've been called. Now, before we get to that, though, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Why mention the fact that right now, as he's writing this letter, he's a prisoner? Because that's Paul's calling, isn't it? I mean, when Ananias went to, to Paul to give him his sight back and baptize him, and before Paul became a Christian, Jesus told Ananias, I'm going to show Paul everything he must suffer for my name. See, sometimes when we talk about our calling, what, are, what am I being called to? Like, I feel like God's calling me to this, or maybe I'm called to that. Sometimes our personal calling is suffering. But Paul says, listen, I, I know, I know that these things I'm telling you are true, I know that this invitation that God has extended to mankind is true, so much so that I'm willing to be a prisoner. I'm committed. I'm all in, folks. I'm in. He says, as a prisoner, I urge you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, that's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? Walk, as in like a metaphor for how you live your life. There's a way to live your life that's worthy of the calling and a way of living your life that's unworthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, that doesn't mean perfect. 
Nobody's perfect. It's like your job. I mean, nobody does their job perfectly, right? I mean, you might be good at your job, but you don't do your job perfectly. But there's a way to live your life and do your job and show up that is consistent with, in step with, worthy of the life you've been called to, the job you've been called to, the job you've been invited to do. There's a way of living your life that shows disdain for the job you've been called to do and a way that lives your life that says, I'm happy to have the job that I have and do the job I've been called to do. And Paul says, there's a way of living your life that's worthy of the calling. A way of living your life that's consistent with the fact that you you know just how amazing and unbelievable it is that God has invited you to be a part of what he's doing in the world. There's a way of living your life that's worthy of that, that's consistent with that, that's in step with that, and a way of living your life that's not. And so that ought to be a question we occasionally ask ourselves, shouldn't it? Am I living my life in a way that's worthy of the calling to which I've been called. But how much time do you spend thinking about your calling? And I don't mean your calling personally. I mean our calling. What it is that God is trying to accomplish through us. What it is that God is inviting us to. How often do we stop and really think about that and ask ourselves, am I living my life in a way that's worthy of that calling, that's in sync with that call? Well, what does that look like, Wes? I'm glad you asked. Look at the next verse. Verse 2. He says this, here's what it, in part, here's what it looks like to live your life in a way that's worthy of the calling. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Isn't it amazing that so many times when the Bible talks about our calling or what Christianity is all about, it talks about this one another stuff, this church stuff this community of faith stuff. This may blow your mind, but it's true. We are not called to a life of individual spirituality, but to a spiritual community. We have this way of thinking today that says, well, I have my own personal walk with God, and you know, I just kind of have my own individual spirituality, and I don't really need the church, or I show up to church when I, when I feel like I need a little bit of boost or whatever, and we just... We just think it's about me and Jesus and our own little personal thing going on. In fact, sometimes we think that our personal salvation is the end goal. That the goal, the point of Christianity is for me to be saved. And then maybe we think, well, maybe the church is a means to that end. Maybe the the point of the church is to be a means to the end of my personal salvation. That's the opposite of how we should think of it. When we really read the New Testament, we find that the church is the point. The church is the goal. Our personal salvation is a means to that end. You were saved to be a part of the people God is putting together. You were saved to be a part of his family. You were saved to be a part of his kingdom. You were saved to be a part of this This community. And I know sometimes if you've been in the church any time at all, you know that sometimes the church doesn't look as glorious and as spotless as the way the Bible sometimes makes it out to be. That's because sometimes we forget our calling. We forget how glorious and spectacular and awesome and epic this life to which we've been called is. 
And we forget that walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called means that we embrace each other. Embracing our calling means embracing each other with things like this, gentleness and humility, patience, bearing with one another in love. Some translations say loving tolerance. (laughs) Some people you just got to put up with lovingly, right? And maybe that somebody's you. I don't know. I know that somebody's me. I know that sometimes Christian people aren't always easy to get along with. That's why the way the church is supposed to be and the way the church is supposed to look will never happen unless we are constantly reminded of our calling. It doesn't just happen. Well, you're a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. Let's get together. We'll be nice guys together. That doesn't happen because every now and then you get somebody in there that it takes patience and gentleness. It takes humility and loving tolerance and an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It takes us being reminded of our calling in order to live this out the way God intended for us to live it out. And if this is what it looks like to live and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, then the opposite of these things is what it looks like to live in a manner unworthy of our calling, right? What's the opposite of humility? Arrogance and pride. The opposite of gentleness is harshness, being critical all the time. Opposite of patience, impatience. Uh, uh, Not willing to bear with each other in love. Not willing to put up with each other. And, And that last one, eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What's the opposite of an eagerness to maintain unity? We might think it's a desire to not be unified, but... That's not true of anybody, is it? I mean, nobody says, I don't want any unity. I don't like unity. I don't like that stuff about unity. We don't want to be unified. Nobody says that. The opposite, the real opposite is apathy, isn't it? The opposite of eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is an apathy about unity. And Paul is saying, this is is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So if we don't care, if we're arrogant and proud, if we're critical and harsh, if we don't bear with each other, if we're impatient with each other, if we're apathetic about unity, then we're walking in a manner that's unworthy of the calling to which we've been called. The unity of God's people is the point. That's what we're being called to. And part of what it looks like to live that out is to live this way with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. See, sometimes we can't bear because we're not even with one another. we got to be with each other and put up with each other and love each other and be eager for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now look at verse 4. Emphasizing the point even more, he says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Church, oneness is the point of our calling, isn't it? There's one God and there's one spirit. There's one faith. We believe one thing and we have one hope. We're we're desiring and we're eager and anticipating that one 
that one hope, that city of God, that redeemed body, that resurrection, we all have that one hope. We have that one faith. We have one Father and one Son and one Spirit and we're part of one body. Oneness is the point of our calling. Sometimes we, we get excited about being invited by God. Yeah, it's good. Being saved by God, that's good. Being redeemed by God, I like it. Give me some more. Being given God's grace, yes, please, I want that. But all of that is leading to this. Family, community, kingdom, people, one another. See, embracing our calling means embracing one another, isn't it? That's what I want us to leave with this morning is to understand that we can't, we can't embrace our calling that Jesus is calling us to and accept that invitation if we're not making room in our life for each other. Embracing our calling means embracing one another in humility and gentleness and patience and loving tolerance and an eagerness to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. And maybe, maybe there's some animosity or some bitterness or some anger that's popped up between you and somebody else. You mad at somebody in here? You mad at somebody that's your brother or your sister? Do you you remember what Jesus said about that? He said, listen, if you're offering your, your gift at the altar and you remember that somebody has something against you, leave it there and go and be reconciled to them. Go talk to them. And sometimes we go talk to them and and it's just about getting stuff off our chest. We say, well, I feel better because I've vented and I told them I have something against you or you have something against me and you need to drop it and we just get something off our chest. The point of talking to somebody that you're upset at or that's upset at you isn't venting, it's reconciliation. And we need to go to them with that goal in mind to be reconciled because that's what we're being called to. John says, listen, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, then there's no way you can love God whom you haven't seen. So maybe today is a day for reconciliation. Maybe there's somebody you need to call up today. And you need to talk some things out. Not just with the goal of talking them out, but with the goal of being reconciled to them. There's something that's been going on between you and them, and it's been going on too long. And God is calling you to unity. Or maybe, maybe it's not that you're upset at anybody. Maybe it's just that there's some people you don't know. You need to go break bread with them. That's what this afternoon and this evening is all about. Just go break bread with them. Go eat with them. Go love them. Go get to know them. Go ask them about their life. Because this community, this family, this is where spirituality happens. This is where we work out our salvation. This is where we work out our faith. It's with each other and gentleness, and humility, and patience, and love. So let's spend time with one another. Let's love each other. Let's embrace one another. Because that's what embracing our calling is all about. And maybe there's somebody here this morning. I don't know everybody here this morning. But maybe maybe you haven't accepted the invitation of the Lord. He, he really does. He wants to give you forgiveness and mercy and grace and he wants to lavish on you the riches of his grace now and forever. 
He wants to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or who you've gone with. It doesn't, none of that matters. The Lord is inviting you to be buried with him in baptism and to be a brand new person and to be a part of this group of people that are all trying to figure it out together, embracing one another and walking through life together and walking into eternity together. So if you haven't accepted that invitation or maybe maybe you just need prayers, we can't know what's going on in your life unless you share it with us. Maybe you should meet with our shepherds after service or maybe right now, come forward. That's together. We stand and sing this song.